0: Hello everyone, it's the head from See Through Panel. Today I'm going to be joined by Luke Oram. Luke is an artist and illustrator from Bristol, UK. He primarily is known for his work in the music industry, creating album covers for many bands. Luke's illustrated work has appeared on book covers in magazines and has been featured in various games. He especially enjoys making art for science fiction projects. In 2020, he collaborated with the band Wallowing to create Planet Loss, dystopian sci-fi comic that interprets the band's album of the same name. The comic contains themes of social societal collapse, uh, sleepwalking into a villain, and distrust of authority. So, thank you, Luke, for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: Pleasure's all mine. Um, I'm doing fairly well, thank
0: you. Okay, so let's kind of, kind of get straight into the... The comic book. Um, how did the project initially come about in terms of your collaboration with, with Wallowing?
1: It's a fairly, uh, fairly long story. Okay, it, it all began in Kitchen in Brighton in probably, I don't know, 2015, something like that. One of my bands that I played in was on tour, and we were, you know, playing the exactly as you imagine sort of underground punk rock gigs you know that kind of thing and we played this a gig in someone's kitchen in Brighton like believe it or not it was really good and we were staying in that house that night and one of the guys a the in, in that house was this this you know this chap this long-haired chap and the next morning when we were just carrying all the all the equipment out he comes up to me and he's like, oh, I, I'm in a band and I've, I've seen that you, you do artwork and I'm working on this this record and I need someone to, to do the cover and I quite like science fiction and stuff. So I, I thought what you're doing would be a good fit. And I, I said to him, OK, you know, I just gave him the, the typical spiel of saying, oh, fine, you know, just email me and blah, 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 because I'm thinking that I'm never going to hear from him again and um anyway you know in the coming weeks he did email me tom his name is who's the the guitar player in wallowing and he's, he's kind of like so he, you know like this one of the, the main creative drive of the band and what i did initially because it's like he hit me with a bunch of concepts that he just wanted illustrated for an album cover you know so it was like a painted album cover and he hadn't recorded the music yet and he actually what he did was was pro- get that artwork produced and then recruit people into the band so he had that as like almost concept art for what they were going to be doing as a band if that makes sense it's an unusual approach but you know quite novel and this this was years ago you know and eventually that came out years later and it was quite well received and his bands you know became more established and they were about to i don't know i guess they were about to record another album or go on a, a tour or something when the pandemic happened which just obviously forced everyone down and for musicians it's it the impact's quite severe because not only if it's your income you, you, that's gone, but you know most most musicians it's not their income it, but it's their life's passion, but yeah, you're losing your life's passion, and also any practicing and recording you may have books gone as well really because you're not, you're not really supposed to do that. so when that happened, they emailed me and said, "Look, you know all our plans have been cancelled, but we you know we had so much energy and head of steam about these concepts. we really want to expand it. do you fancy." making a comic out of the concept that was in the first album and i sort of just said yeah you know i just said yes to it basically like it i I had no i had no clue how that was going to happen or how long it was going to take it did take a year like it you know eventually when it but i it was done was a year later and uh yeah we took it from there really you know just it, it was that it was that just an existing relationship and then turning a crisis into an opportunity creatively i guess that's
0: Fascinating, kind of. One of the questions I was going to ask you was how long did it take to, to complete? So, you reckon it was about a year from kind of initial inception to kind of like getting you know the final book printed out there.
1: Yeah, ex- almost, almost exactly a year. I think maybe a year and one month in terms of the time it took, like me to do, you know, because obviously I had to fit it in around paying work, you know, like I had to do it when I could. And I know lots of, yeah, you know, lots of people say things like, oh, you know, like. I'll do my paying gig and then i'll, I'll do an hour every everything, but i just I just find that impossible you know it's like yeah. i don't I don't have enough energy after I've, I've been doing art all day if I've got gigs on I, you know I don't want to do any more art and this the quality would be bad, so you have to like save up a bit of money and save a bit of time and just take the time off and do it and that is what I did
0: yeah, I think that's quite um you know speaking to other comics. As I think that's quite a common practice, especially if they're they're working in jobs where they are being creative as their as their day yeah. job. I think it's a little bit more common for people that have got maybe I hate to use the word more mundane jobs, but maybe where they're using maybe more like mathematical or analytical skills to maybe be able to kind of use that creative process as an outlet to to release stress right, yeah. when it when, when it's your when it's your day job it's kind of like it is work and then you kind of you do need to take time off to do work that's not being paid for as well i think
1: yeah like any creative work obviously you know it, it is the thing i love doing but if if you overwork and burn out it it's you know the quality of your work suffers quite badly and that's not good. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that with this project, especially, because I was quite invested in it. So I really wanted to give it the respect that it deserved. And, you know, I, I'm quite lucky in regards that I had enough good gigs on around the year, especially during the pandemic. I was very lucky in that I still had plenty of work. So I was able to do that, which I also recognize is, you know, it is a somewhat of a privilege. A lot of people just won't get that opportunity. So I'm quite thankful for that.
0: Yeah. So let's um let's talk a little bit about the comic. I do hate asking this question but I think it's probably the best way to kind of get to the subject. Kind of if you were to give an elevator pitch for Planet Loss, what would it be?
1: Oh uh, god. <laughs> it's a dystopian science fiction that's kind of about the end of the end of our world, not necessarily this world, but you know, our world and also about like a moment of realization.
0: Yeah. So I think I think that's kind of quite accurate. So in terms of the comic I really enjoyed, the the comic it's got I don't want to say a straightforward plot but kind of to me it what the comic really evo- evoked was kind of these it's kind of evokes a lot of emotions in you it kind of really creates a really strong sense of place and character and kind of this malaise and anger that's a uh, kind of bubbling underneath the surface and right i was just kind of wondering it's an interpretation of the album so i was just wondering how you went around kind of like building those themes into the visual
1: visual storytelling but it was a bit of a collaborative process so i mean i, I took the kind of approach i'm used to working with with you know in quotation marks clients you know like so the, the guys in modeling are, are friends at this point but um in which when they, when they you know when they came up with the idea i was like yeah sounds great write me a detailed brief to tell me what I've got to do. So I I I basically just made them write down what they thought was going to happen. And I mean, like one of the things that I like about wallowing as a band outside of the actual music they make and the people they are, is that they're they're well organized. So they're they're quite on it as a, as a, as a group of people and stuff gets done quite quickly and they execute stuff, you know, I don't know. They just got drive, I guess, and drive and passion behind what they're doing that. And that, you know that shows in the music, and it shows in the in the gigs and things. But it also actually is quite apparent when you just work with them, you know, on, on a professional basis. So they supplied me with a text document, basically, of because all the text in the in the in the comic is are the lyrics of the of the album, right? So it had all the the lyrics, and then like broken down into pages, and then like you know a short sentence for each page. With what they thought was happening in the story of the music, and from there, what I did was break that down into a bunch of pages and just do like really scribbly roughs and send that to them and go, "Does this make sense? You know, do, do, do you like this?" And it, it just came together that way, really. So it's like it gave me a lot of freedom because I knew as long as it, as long as each page had the the right lyric on it and the right thing vaguely happened that that needed to happen to make it line up with the what's happening in the music, which is interpretive because obviously it's music, it's not. No one's narrating a a story to you. I I could sort of do what I wanted after that. So, you know, (laughs) it's hard to say really. Um,
0: I think I always find it quite interesting when I'm speaking to people that are collaborating on a project, how they actually write the script. So to me, kind of, doesn't sound like you were given a script script that you're kind of given like a guiding document to kind of write this is kind of what we want to achieve and they just kind of let you get on with it really is that kind of a good interpretation kind of like
1: how the yeah entirely accurate yeah that's precisely it it's like you know I've never really properly worked in on comics but I've seen sort of a script that a professional comic book artist might get and it's detailed you know it wasn't anything like that it was much more hey on this page we want to get over the theme of dull repetitive work okay we want to get over you know it's more like that it was like they were very into the thematic of what they're you know and the, and the emotion of, of what they're creating you know like the art they've made which is their music has a lot of emotion in it you know like and it's obviously you know they're, they're a metal band so it's like this kind of negative angry expression of this stuff and my job was to take that and interpret it into a visual medium, you know, as best I could. It was not, you know, like the, the, gui- the guidelines I worked on were not structured, as, as you suggest, they were just vague notes about things that could happen or what they thought. The feeling was, you know, so it's like, which poses you quite the question as the creator, because it's like some people telling a story through music aren't subject to the same strictures as a writer or a a filmmaker or something, right? So, like, a piece of music can, in one moment, contain the emotion of great anger, and in the next moment, evoke the emotion of a super long passing of time, and in the next moment, back to the the sort of viewpoint of that anger again and that's really hard to do in a straightforward comic narrative you know like yeah i mean d- quite difficult
0: yeah, I think music, in a strange way, is kind of nonlinear. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it kind of it does hit different parts of the brain. I'm fascinated with the, the writing process because I write comics myself, and right, yeah. I think one of the things that I've come to realise, interviewing different creators, there is many different ways of writing a comic script as there are comic creative teams and comic writers. There's no kind of one fixed format. It's, it's not like TV writing or theatre writing where there's a format that you need to adhere to and it it really does depend on kind of collaborative chemistry if I can use that phrase between uh, the team kind of what the because there's lots of artists that do want lots of detail who do want to I need to know what angle each panel is at I need to know kind of the time of day I need to know positioning of the characters where there are other creators that are more like yourself where they're very much well I need a bit of freedom to kind of express myself and you're kind of finding that balance I think is quite important so was there like a negotiation about that process or was it just kind of settled on it straight away in terms of that in terms of,
1: of how we proceeded i, w- I would say we set on it straight away because it was just picking up precisely you know from the same kind of discussions we've had about the um the album cover or other bit you know like i did their logo and I, i've done various bits of work for these guys over the years so it's it's like a continuing conversation like you will have a conversation oh you know we're doing this and we need that and it's like okay let's work that out get that done and then six months later, you get a highlight. Yeah, we're doing this. Do, do you fancy working on this kind of thing? So it did just naturally come out of that conversation. So you know, when they asked me to do it, it wasn't like it was a client I'd never worked with or someone I didn't know just pitching me a project. It was like a friend going, "Hey, I've got this. I've got this crazy idea, but I've managed to work out the funds to get it printed. It's that kind of thing." So it, it was just very collaborative. Once it was underway properly, which you know even though i said it took a year like the reality is I, I drew the whole thing in in six weeks you know it was like quite intense you know so once that was happening it did change a little bit because i started you know i started roughing the whole thing out and obviously their story is coming from the emotional place of their music and the concept they've had in their heads for all this time and then i'm drawing it and thinking okay that's great and uh, that's obviously what attracted me to this whole this whole band you know but However, from a visual storytelling perspective, I felt there were some things not in their story that needed to be in there, you know, to make the comic work, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think whenever you're adapting something, you do need to, it's an adaptation, you need to make it work for the format in which you're telling the story in. So you don't want to lose anything from the original piece, but at the the same time, you need to do something that elevates it
1: as well yeah i mean I, I wouldn't i wouldn't say elevates in yeah. this case um yeah. necessarily but i think that the you know the medium and the message uh, the message can be the same but the, the medium could be different and like for example in the context of the music of wallowing if anyone out there listens to it you know it, it's very heavy and it's unremittingly savage in the way that lots of metal is right so that expresses a negative emotion which is absolutely fine and it's that's the attraction for most people that like any kind of heavy music be it metal based or even like heavier electronic forms of music often have that like grimy sense of, of oppression in it right and that is the appeal but when you have a story that someone's reading for 40 pages and everything that happens in the narrative is doom laden and hopeless it actually you know all this the negativity is is fantastic in terms of the emotional core of the story but I think we need to give some light on this shade, you know, otherwise it's going to be an unremittingly miserable thing for anyone to read.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think there are times where you do want to read something unremittingly depressing, but I think for me, I I really did like the peaks and the troughs and the valleys kind of like bringing things up and then kind of bringing them down again. I understand this was the first comic that you've made in a while, so I was just wondering what was it like rediscovering the language of of comics because I know you've done a lot of album covers, but comic books are different. It's kind of, you you do need to kind of understand the, I hate using the term like sequentialist. Right. You're using images sequentially to kind of like tell the story, so I was just wondering what that was like for you
1: um it, it was difficult i would say i've never made a comic before like it, other than maybe you know some sort of very sophomore efforts in my teens or whatever you know like a long time ago yeah so it, it was difficult like just trying to think about you know how can the reader follow this is this does this make sense is it evident when you know when it when going over the page when something happens? Is it oh, does, does it you know that that those kind of questions? I did do you know my degree was in animation, so I, I do have a lot of experience. In a certain point in the past, of you know, working sequentially, storyboarding things, and drawing lots of stuff. So I kind of brought that to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also just a you know a lifelong love of comics as well. Like I've I've always read them, and I've always loved them. So I don't know. Like I, it it was difficult, and producing thing was grueling as well because I had, I had such a short period of time, and. I did everything like I, you know I had, to, I had to draw it, and well, you know I had to rough it out from a from a guideline, draw it, ink it, do the flatting, do the you know and all this kind of stuff, and it was an awful lot of work, so that was possibly a blessing more than a curse because I just had to get on with it, you know I, had, I just had such you know it's like I didn't have time to worry about, oh, this is bad, this drawing's bad, you know whatever it's like no no time. Got to get two pages done a day. Move on. So it was just kind of made under those conditions, really. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think there is a certain blessing of where you're under time constraints, and you just have to say, "All right, this is good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect." I, I don't have time to go over like ten thousands 10, of iterations of this. I've just got to get it good enough to where I don't dislike looking at it too much. It's exactly that. A, yeah, like, kind of the best way forward.
1: I mean, it's, for me as an artist. I'm predominantly a painter, you know. Like I, my like drawing is not is not my strongest skill at all. So looking at the book now, six months on. I am proud of it. Like I'm proud that I made it and I, all that. But you know that I do have I do have issues. <laughs> some of the drawing is is not great. I think you know there's there's problems with some of the line work and at least you know I, I guess that's just that's normal for any creative person to feel that way really. But I did have a degree of quite warranted insecurity going in that's like, oh God, I just like drawing comics is its own discipline. It's not just if you can do some drawing, you can draw a comic, you know, like it's its own discipline, its own craft and needs to be taken seriously and done right. So I just tried to do that in the time I had and I tried to stay true to, you know, what I envisioned it looking like and hopefully got somewhere close for
0: me it's a beautiful looking book and you kind of mentioned that i think you kind of mentioned that you would describe yourself mainly as a, a painter and that's actually one of the questions i wanted to ask you about kind of what were your artistic influences going into the books, I kind of of, saw bits of Mobius, Jeff Darrow, 2000 AD, kind of James Sturko. Were were any of those guys influencing kind of your um, storytelling uh, and kind of the the art style that you decided to employ?
1: Definitely, in several ways. I should say, first and foremost, those influences are are unconscious. Like, they're influences because I like those things, not because I thought I want to make it look like Mobius. I've never done that. Like, I do appreciate that lots of people have told me it looks like Mobius, which is a huge compliment because he was great you know rest in peace one of the greatest ever any comparison to that it you know makes me happy of course it does but i wasn't attempting to copy that yeah i wasn't very familiar with jeff darrow uh, until recently because some people again told me it it looks a bit like this jeff darrow guy and then a friend of mine sent me one of his books, which the name now Escapes Me, uh, which is embarrassing. It was great, yeah, like I can t- I can see why, you know. Like uh, In terms of where that influence comes from, right, it's actually animation. So I'm 40, so I grew up in the 80s, and I saw certain things that came out in TV. And the two most prevalent ones um, is... Norsk of the Valley of the Wind, which is the, the Ghibli movie. Yeah. And uh, Time Masters, which is a, a French animated movie. It's directed by René Lelou, but Mobius designed it. You know, before I knew who Mobius was or anything about European comic scene, I'd seen that that animated movie as a kid a hundred times, you know, probably more. I've, I've seen it many, many times. And I still watch it, you know, like I still love those movies and their primary influences. So that's where it comes from. Like it's it, it's more related, I think, to the, the style of my book. is more related to sort of animated, the look of animated films in the 80s than it is trying to replicate a particular comic aesthetic.
0: Kind of you mentioning Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Yeah. Now you mentioned that I can definitely see that in there. So that's um, right. one of the, the things I wanted to ask you about was your choice of a colour palette. I really liked your choice of the colour palette and I was just curious about how you decided to use those particular colours because I think that's, you mentioned kind of the, the lyrics and the tone of the music the band produces is quite heavy and I think your choice of colours kind of alleviates some of the, the darkness in there. Was that like a conscious choice or was it just you felt it worked for the world?
1: I wanted to contrast that aspect of it, right? You know, it's like, I'm really quite bored of the sort of grim, dark, everything, blue, grey, washed out look of a lot of science fiction content these days. I mean, in itself, it's fine as an aesthetic, but it's just a. you know, my feeling is that I see it all the time. So I just, you know, more interested in doing something that felt more fresh to me. Films I saw as a kid that were post-apocalyptic are things like uh, Time Masters, Nausicaa, Also stuff like Mad Max, also stuff like, you know, stuff made in the 70s and 80s is colorful, right? So I I just associate those kind of like bright colors with, you know, in my view, that's what the end of the world would look like, you know, rather than dark and oppressive. It's like everything's blasted and bright, the sun's glaring down it's a different way of thinking about it i guess
0: yeah i mean just because we're living in a, a post societal post-collapse society doesn't necessarily mean people lose access to dyes and yeah
1: uh, you know what i mean so it's kind of like you know there's there's your real apocalypse right like <laughs> an apocalypse of, of uh ai scam callers but in the future like you'll go to a public venue like a pub or a square and be talking to someone man. after 20 minutes realize they're an android that's just programmed <laughs> to engage in order to sell you stuff and then like once that becomes too expensive then it'll be actual people that are pretending to be androids or to get a job i don't think it's all that far off
0: um to, to, to be honest with you so there's some symbolism in the book that i wanted to kind of yeah. ask you about Go. what's with like the the pyramids and like the inverted pyramids and that sort of thing kind of what's kind of like We'll that about
1: okay so straight off the bat it looks cosmic you know yeah. it's like yeah. it, it connotes a kind of i think i think it connotes a sense of like ancient cosmic something you know because just because of cultural associations people think right the pyramids the Egyptians built them as a long time ago oh but they're kind of technologically advanced you know like I, I wanted to lean on that a little bit and it, it's not explained in the in the book at all because it's just there is this kind of totem you know it kind of represents a totemic oppressive force the main character becomes aware of but doesn't understand but in canon in the in the sort of background of the story that that sort of flying pyramid thing is you know this massive interstellar vessel that the the forces that are running that planet actually reside on. Like, that's the setup, right? But it's just not in the story. Like I know that because Wallowing has said this. They've got (laughs) a big vessel and they fly around and they, you know, they enslave different planets. I just know that that's the science fiction backdrop. So I wanted to sort of represent that because I didn't want to tell that story and didn't have room to, like, go into who these people were. I thought, well, if I just make it this kind of, like, Monolithic thing, it'll just work as a kind of cosmic evil. Yeah. Yeah. From there, once that's established as like visually as, you know, because there's a sequence in the book where I have to take it on faith that these things are understood by anyone that reads them because it's not explained, but there's a sequence where the main character is remembering things and remembers this pyramid appearing and then remembers like, these aliens coming out remembers a deal being done and then their city being constructed right you don't know if that's things that this character witnessed firsthand or that's just a the mythology they have about how they came to be where they are like that's not made clear deliberately So, but the idea was that once it's established in the in the kind of eye of the reader that that sort of pyramid shape or that triangle is representative of this oppressive force that everyone on this planet is subjected to, then I can have it just represented as a triangle with like bits being broken out or bleeding, and it just says something symbolically about what's happening. That was what I was attempting to do. I don't, I don't know if that ever lands, you know, but.
0: Yeah, I think it did come across, I was just wondering, I think you made the right decision in not having too much explanation about the history yeah. of the world, because I think that would have affected the comic interacts with the album. So I was just wondering if there's anything that flew over my head that I didn't understand. But yeah, I think, think what you've said there kind of chimes in with what my initial thoughts were.
1: Yeah, the, the main point of perspective character is essentially ignorant about the world that he's in. And that's really handy for telling the story when the reader is also ignorant of the world that that the character's in. You know, what I was thinking about in terms of the emotional quality of that is, you know, as with many people, you know, in your life at a certain point, you you have kind of moments of clarity where, you know, you actually perceive things one would like to hope. For how they actually are, I mean I know that's actually realistically that's impossible, but as close as possible you you know you get this broader perception of things around you and you come to realizations and that that could be lots of different things for different people, you know like it's not specific I was trying to recreate that sense in the in in the visual narrative a little bit of a character you know in this case. It's someone who's engaged in the world, It is working, is doing all these things, then sort of sees that it's a sham, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like has a moment of realization when the entire world I've invested in is actually predicated on a lie. Not only is it a lie, it's a lie that entails a great deal of suffering and one that I, act, I am actively propping up. And the way that I think that's evidenced in the book is that you see the main character, you know, he, he's in an apartment. So it's a pretty shitty apartment that he's in. But he's got one. And every time he's walking down the street, there's loads of homeless people and starving people and all this kind of horrendous stuff just happening. You know, he's kind of oblivious to it. He's also oblivious to to being a cog in that system, you know, like and then becomes aware of this. And at the moment of becoming aware of this, which is in the story, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but it's fairly early on that. The, the character sees one of the alien figures who is like overlord type, not, not really, more like just managerial basically, but beating a, beating someone for no reason. And then that sort of wakes the character up to, oh, this is actually terrible. You know, the moment that happens, then he starts to perceive everything else that's wrong as he's running back to his apartment. Like he sees the suffering, he, he sees the misery and then also sees people are resisting it, right? So like there, there's a kind of revolt happening. Now, you've no idea how long that revolt's been going on. It may have been going on for 10 years, maybe longer. It's just that he wasn't aware of it because he's not engaged. It's about that, you know, like, it's about the psychology of that and the feeling of that, more so than it being a literal story about an uprising. That's just, that's the backdrop to the emotion. And that's the emotion that's in the that's in that album, you know, one of, like, a feeling of desperation and, and like a sort of arch awareness of that desperation.
0: I'll be honest with you, I didn't really get on with the album. That like heavy metal's not really um, sure, sure yeah, not not really fine. my um my bag. But from what I was able to kind of get from the album there was kind of exactly as you explained you know those emotions and you know that sense of realizing things um i'm just wary of the time i don't want to keep you for too long so i'll maybe Uh, that's
1: fine i don't have have very much to do today so i'm happy to go a bit longer if you like
0: okay sure so i did want to ask you about your process do you work digitally or do you use inks and pencil and paper kind of how, how did you actually get it down
1: Both generally like I like both systems I I learned art skills in the traditional model but you know the reality is of commercial work that you know going digital opens up a lot of flexibility for you and you know it is cheaper um, so it's economic there's an economic kind of incentive to engage with it you know it's also powerful and not so much for comics but for my general work stuff's been done digitally in the art world for so long now that it's client expectations so you know clients will expect to be able to have stuff changed right at the end you know like they'll understand that if they want to change something major then that they've got to pay for that time or whatever it's not really about that But I'm speaking more to the, the power and flexibility granted by digital medium and which is now an expectation in the industry. So, you know, if you, if you've done oil painting or a, or watercolor or something like that. You know, I I like both. I very much like painting in real medium. If you've done that and then, you know, for whatever reason, the client is, oh, yeah, this is great. But actually, we need it to, we need this aspect now. We need this kind of thing, which, you know, which does happen in commercial work. It happens a lot. It's just, you know, imagine trying to change a real medium for the next day. It's just so much extra work, you know, like it's not flexible. It's kind of once it's done, it's done sort of thing.
0: So I'm assuming you kind of, you drew and inked and coloured uh, Planet Lost digitally.
1: Yeah, it was all digital, every, everything in Planet Lost. I did all the um, all the prep work, like the character designs and, you know, when I was just kind of like trying to get a feel for how I wanted the world to look and how I wanted the characters to look and the, the atmosphere. All of that was done with pencil and then it, like ink painting and stuff. I did lots of that sort of concept. There's a little bit of it in the book at the back. I, I'm not sure if it's in the PDF version, but in the actual... In, I think it, there
0: are a couple of pages in the PDF. Right, right.
1: Yeah. So, so I did a lot of that kind of stuff, and that, that was kind of done... Yeah, it's just to kind of develop it and... You know, I'll be honest, the, the reason I did it in that medium is because I did I did that stuff in spare time while I was working on other jobs. And it was just a nice change, you know, like, you know, sort of painting a thing it, digitally, getting that done. And then, oh, I've got, you know, an hour now at the end of the day, I'm going to get the sketchbook out and just sketch and play a stuff while I listen to some music or something. So it was, that, that decision was taken for the enjoyment of doing it. You know, like it, it's really enjoyable to, to draw and pencil and paper. It's, it's more fun.
0: I was speaking to, well, I was interviewing another artist yesterday, and he basically he he only works digitally now, but he's kind of decided to exclusively uh, where he can just work on his iPad because he says that's the closest that's the closest experience to actually writing and drawing on paper. He can just sit underneath a tree and just kind of like draw on his iPad in in Procreate and recreate yeah. those you know work and client stuff.
1: There, so, so it's kind of interesting how yeah. these tools are being used for some weird reason. Like when you suggested that, I have, I have a strong aversion to that, you know, because it feels to me, and it, this is totally unexamined re- reaction, so it may be ridiculous, but I kind of feel like if I go for a walk and sit underneath a tree. I don't really want that kind of technology to make an incursion into that you know it's like <laughs> kind of like want time away from screens and computers if i go and do something does that make sense yeah i, yeah, I do so understand i'm going to take a sketchbook because it it feels organic i mean that's ludicrous like <laughs> the, the reality is they're both tools and they make what you use makes no difference and like i you know, I don't manufacture paper or pencils. Someone else has built the tools that I'm using, all this kind of stuff. So, like, I can't really defend that on any kind of philosophical level. But in terms of the emotional attachment I have to it, they feel different. You know, like, like sketching in a sketchbook or like, sploshing some watercolor around. To me, it feels like I'm playing a lot more. Whereas like on a computer, I'm, I'm just more work focused and like more focused on getting a job done, which is really helpful. You know, you need that to get something made. So that that's not to say that that's bad. It's just very different, you know, a, a different kind of psychology, I guess.
0: I think everyone's got
1: their own process
0: Yeah, yeah What I want to ask you about now is um, you mentioned before that you love reading like comic books and graphic novels kind of yeah. What are some of your favourite comic books and graphic novels from from your, your childhood and kind of what you're reading at the moment as well?
1: So like from, from childhood hands down 100% 80s, 2018 that's a comic I read as it was published when I was a kid and it's it's the only comic I read as it was published when I was a kid You know? and I didn't really engage with very much else like I have a really specific memory of being... I'm going to say three years old, right? Three or four years old. And going into a newsagent in Kingswood, which is, I don't know if any if any of the listeners are from are from the West Country. Kingswood is a, a kind of crappy satellite town, Bristol, that's kind of on the, you know, the sort of thing, you yeah. know, like not in the city, it's a town, but it's people live there because they can drive to the, into town for work sort of thing. And that's where I lived, you know, as, as a kid up until, I don't know, mid-80s or whatever. And it's kind of this depressing edge of a city, small town sort of deal. It still is. And I guess with that being my environment, the stuff in 2000 AD, being that it was made by British, British writers and artists or writers and artists who, you know, were working in Britain, reflected that back to me quite a lot. D- does that make sense? Like I saw my world in it a lot more than in the American comics.
0: I think I do understand that. For me, my, my childhood experience was very much cape and superhero comics. I, right, right. I didn't really engage with two thousand AD for whatever reason. Most of the people, especially British artists I've spoken to, do specifically mention two thousand AD or you know Dandy and Bino and, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah,
1: I certainly read the Dandy and Bino in school a bit. You know, like friends in school would have it. And I thought it was funny. Like, I, I think the Beano is a good comic. You know, it's like it knows its audience yeah. and it, it delivers on its remit completely. You know, it's, it's not my area of interest, but that, that's absolutely fine. Like, there's always room for a good, fun, kind of sarcastic satire of, of uh, British culture aimed at kids to be funny. You know, I think the Beano does a good job of that. But when I was a kid, you know, what I, what I liked was Aliens and Monsters. Yeah. And yeah. 2000 AD had Aliens and Monsters. But it, it has aliens and monsters in a way that relates to the world around the kid in the 80s, in, you know, in crappy Thatcherite Britain, which is what it was. So to finish the, uh, the memory that, that was percolating back in about my influence, um, yeah, I remember going into a news agency in, in Kingsworth uh, near Bristol and seeing a 2000 AD, the cover of which I think is a story called The Pit. It's a nemesis, the warlock story. Uh, and Nemesis is my favourite 2000 AD character because it's this sort of like, arch Victorian thing, and he's a really cool looking alien. You know, like he looks really like like a devil yeah. sort of thing. The cover of this of this uh, particular 2000 AD had like this great big monster with a club arm on it. And it just looked amazing, you know. I was really blown away by this, as a kid, It's really left that impression on me. And this is before I could read, so I have no idea what... I remember not understanding what it, what any of it said, but just, like, showing my mum and going, oh, you know, I, this cool monster, and she's like, no, that's for older kids, you know, like... Which is entirely correct, it's not aimed at a three- or four-year-old. But, but, you know, that really, really sunk in. As a, as a long-term reference, I mean, also just... I'm sure that other, you know, other sort of British uh, artists you may have spoke to may say the same thing, but, like... 2000D has this real kind of anarchic psychological perspective that is basically the perspective I have as an adult. You know, it it comes from that comic, 100%. You know, there's kind of like massive fear of authority and distrust of people in charge. Like that's in that comic. A lot of the stories are about that. You know, like Judge Dredd is not a hero. He's a villain. He's actually a bad guy, you know, and you're supposed to not. It's, it's certainly in the 80s stuff. You identify more with the villains he's busting and the sense that they don't deserve it is very much in the story. So that's really stayed with me, you know, throughout my whole life.
0: Yeah, people keep on telling me to go read 2080 and I just feel like I'm a little bit old for it now and kind of um, like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to get kind of like a lot of... Uh, it's probably something I should kind of go back and actually look at. Yeah, I definitely
1: recommend, like, there's certain... 2000 so AD stories you know written so well and illustrated so well that they are timeless so like i think they'd be entertainment for anyone you know like the writing in that in that magazine is quite far above the level of a kid you know like the stuff in there that i just didn't get it as a kid that when you read it again, as does oh, he's talking about this. Oh, and it felt real because it reflected the world that that I was in. But it's, it's well written. Like certainly any of the, you know, lots of the Alan Moore stuff is really good. But that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: know. yeah. Have you come across the 2000 AD audiobook adaptations?
1: No, I mean, I'm aware of them. I, I've not given them a list. They're though. really, really good they're really? really really
0: good they're um excellent so i've got another podcast where i review audio books and we did right. one of those on there and it's they're fantastic you just think well how you've taken this visual it's kind of they've done the reverse of what you've done kind of taking an audio medium and translating into visual right. and they've taken a visual medium and translating into an audio um i wanted to ask you about kind of what have you been what comics have you been reading recently and more as an adult kind of you know what what graphic novels um, okay so it's quite
1: an exhaustive list the most recent thing i've read is the world of Dina, which is a mobius book i got as a present you know uh, christmas and I, i've really taken my time with it because it's like the whole point of mobius's books is that you, you look at them you know like i don't know what's going on there but it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like uh, it just looks so nice i just think i, I just don't mind what whatever happens in the story sure you're on a spaceship and now everyone's changed gender and now now you've gone back in time now there's dinosaurs now everyone's got disease now everyone's a robot fine I, I i love it you know whatever doesn't matter in adulthood generally i kind of really got into this has back a little while but do you know joe, joe sacco with like yeah stein and yeah uh, yeah Safe yeah. farah stuff like that yeah like that's really good i, I really like that I, i've got a lot of a lot of his his graphic novels i don't, I, I guess that when i was like in my mid-20s and that was coming out it was like oh it's a comic but it's like it's justified to read it because it's serious kind of, yeah. kind of kind of psychology but it, yeah they're really good pieces of work and they are the drawing is lovely you know like really nice in that classic american underground comics with an x kind of tradition yeah. you know like in the crumb tradition basically of drawing not not of content so that looked great and i don't know like he was really onto something with that stuff you know like i i, I probably re- revisit that at some point also uh I, m- I might get the name wrong but there's a book called persepolis by i think it's majan yeah. satraki yeah. who is an iranian like a, like a and I it I grew up in iran and then moved to france during the revolution uh, it's the same sort of thing but really has her perspective as a kid in it like, i really like i really like that stuff is uh is very strong
0: if you're interested in more like non-fiction graphic novels there's um, there's a French artist I really admire called Guy Delisle he, he's written um, a couple of like self well few self autobiographical graphic novels one's called Pyongyang about his experience as a art director for animation company in North Korea and that's really interesting his wife is a doctor for medicine sans frontiers so he has, he's also kind of like been to Jerusalem as well so he's got a book about that and for me his masterpiece is this um, biographical account called Hostage about, I believe it was a journalist that was kidnapped in Syria or Iraq. And that is, is just is that unbelievably good. Uh, he manages right. to capture the the boredom and the terror of being a hostage. So if you're kind of interested in you know, n- non-fiction stuff, those are definitely things I think you should um, try and check out.
1: I yes. know oh, that sounds great. I'll check those out for sure. It shows the breadth of what the medium is capable of, I think. You know, it's like, like a lot of people that are artists, at some point you go through this weird thing in your late teens where the thing that you love and you love doing you also are aware that you've kind of aged out of the target audience for it. Yes. And you, have, you feel this sort of weird dissociation and then yeah. struggle. Like It's a struggle. It actually really is a, it's difficult because you go through your early 20s without an identity as a creative, trying to find, you know, what is it that I'm going to do? You know, I, I have this urge to paint and draw this stuff, but this is, this is rubbish for babies, you know? like I, I don't actually think it is, but like, you feel that way when you're that age. So that kind of stuff, and I discovered it, you know, I guess while I was at uni probably, really helped because it's, it's like, it's serious, you know, it's like, oh, there are people in the world that think this craft is a serious thing. And in a way, the knowledge that someone thinks it's serious and someone thinks it can do, it can say something real. It's like, okay, I don't need to worry about what I'm doing because someone else is taking care of the legitimate. When you discover that someone in the world is kind of taking, you know, the, your area of interest, your medium and, you know, your aesthetic very seriously and doing serious work with it that that is, like, legitimate and journalistic and important, in, you know, with a capital I, it kind of gives you permission just to go back to drawing aliens because it's like... <laughs> Oh, this yeah. medium is fine. I don't need to worry about its legitimacy. And like, I understand now. You know, as a much older person, that's complete bullshit. It's a terrible way to think and is self-destructive and wastes years of people's lives. And indeed, many creative people get out of university and and quit. You know, they get out of university, never make anything because they can't find a way into it. But also, they lack the motivation because they don't know what to do. And I think that, unfortunately, when you're that age, you do you do feel that. I definitely felt that when I was 20 to 23 or whatever. Like, what am I trying to do? I've done animation at uni and we've studied all this serious underground stuff. But ultimately, I, you know, I did animation because I liked Ulysses, you know, or Cities of Gold or something, you know, like... You have to sort of confront those influences and then if you're lucky, reintegrate them into your life in a way that lets you produce something worthwhile, I don't know. Yeah,
0: I kind of understand where you're coming from there. Just a couple of more questions and I think we'll call it a day. Um, so uh, what projects are you working on next?
1: I've just, this week started, I nearly finished another little bit of Planet Loss. Some stuff we cut out that I've managed to get some spats some free time again. I've got a return to that. So I've just done three pages of that. It's a little self-contained story from a different perspective within within that narrative, right? I need to, the next thing I need to do is, is do the flattening and colour, which which I hate, so I'm not looking forward to and that will be I don't know that will be coming out in some form the guys in the band are, are working that out like I, th- I think we're gonna try and get it out as a promotional thing in, in, a, in a music magazine or something you know be, the idea is to just it just cast a wide creative net you know so it's like as you were saying before that you, you know you don't really like heavy metal but that's fine lots of people don't so you know myself and the band the concepts that they're working with they feel has a wide audience and just what you what the music happens to sound like on one album if that makes sense so yeah trying to push it out and go no actually this is just it's, it's a creative nexus of stuff you know like people can get involved with this world and i don't mean the story i mean the, the world of like the, the underground scene of culture uh, if you don't like one piece of culture that's fine just do something you like but you know getting a perception of the community that's out there that's kind of the aim there obviously it's good promotion for you know we've got a whole load of these books to sell now finally you know yeah. <laughs> so so helps help to that but um you know it really is more about the, the love for that a, a friend of mine who is a very good writer you know we've been bandying ideas back and. forth. For for a number of years and we've worked together on various corporate gigs we've managed to like one of us has got a gig and now we need an artist or we need a writer or my friend can do it word of mouth sort of thing so we've got a good working relationship uh, and we sort of come up with a, a story i'm quite interested in um it, it's not fully not fully developed yet but it, it's vaguely about about sort of time travel and influence of events across time, if that makes sense. Like but in a science fiction y way. So I guess there's similar themes in From Hell or something like that, but this isn't like that. This is much more science fiction concept, but told in various stages of history. He's got that sort of drafted up as a as a proposal, which I you know I've read and is really good. So I, I guess we'll go and start developing the, the the narrative more and working it out. And then it's a case of finding the time to go ahead and produce that thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would be amazing to like get some kind of publisher You know, like everything I've done is is just direct for client or self. Client or self published. You know, might help, but I really don't. Yeah, I I don't understand how to get into that world. I don't know that side of it whatsoever. You know, like I'm I'm just an artist. So yeah, it's so um, so. so God knows.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think British comics publishing is a deeply frustrating place to be um, right, yeah. if, if you're looking for communities to join and things like that I can send you a few links to di- a few different groups if you're looking for, for guidance yeah I mean it would be area. interesting
1: just to, just to see what people are doing as well you know like as an artist you are encouraged by the world and the way that it's designed you know the way that it's set up quote-unquote the system to see yourself as quite isolated and alienated and in direct competition with everyone all the time but it's actually not really like that. You know, It's the world's a lot more collaborative than that. So I don't know, like, it's good It's good to find people that are interested in the same thing, just to give yourself the opportunity to support that as well. You know, like, I'm always interested in that. Yeah. I certainly agree with your observation that British uh, comic publishing is frustrating. Um, like I did, um, after Panalots came out, I got approached by a, a comic to work on a strip. And, I, you know, and I, I did that. And, and then um, they, they rejected, they didn't like the art. You know, like, so I did the whole thing. And it's just kept <laughs> never coming out so it's like oh god you know I guess it just wasn't good enough you know it's like I'm used to working in a sort of underground way and I suppose they had a more professional I don't know yeah, yeah I, they just didn't they just didn't like it. It wasn't good enough. It didn't meet their standards. So, I'll probably just stick to doing what what I want to do when I can. It seems more like it at least it will be seen, you know, at least it will yeah. find an audience if it can.
0: We could talk now
1: about kind of how to kind
0: of like get comics made, but um uh, <laughs> yeah. Is there anything I haven't asked that I, I should have
1: asked you? I don't know is the answer. <laughs> okay. Possibly. <It> was, okay. <laughs> to, to, I mean, regarding Planet Loss Actually, one thing that I did want to say that, that with the conversation moved on, but I'll just take the opportunity. Uh, you were talking about the color choices, right? Now, because I'm mostly a painter, I have a better understanding how color works. You know, like I'm much more used to working with color. Yeah. So that was like an opportunity to use that that knowledge and ability. But I used it to emotional ends, right? So like the color palette in the story tells the emotion of the story. Like, it starts off in the blues, cold, isolated, and then gets almost like glaringly orange, yellow, and red during the battle sequence of the story because it's hot and stuff's happening. And then it becomes this kind of grey-red towards the end because it's a dying ember. So I was trying to tell the story again the emotion of the story in the colours.
0: Looking through the pages now, I can definitely see that these subtle things that yeah, you know, I'm not a professional kind of appreciate as so a kind of these, right. you know, these subtle things that you're um you're explaining, kind of like, oh yes, that was subtly kind of in my subconscious mind. I was kind yeah, of appreciating it that, hits yeah,
1: exactly you know, you're trying to get that feeling across. Like I guess it's like you know in movies, people say show don't tell. It's like that. I don't want to just say there is now a battle. It is brutal. Yeah. So I'm trying to show it. You know, yeah. and it's like I didn't really hold back in in that comic. So like, there's, there's stuff in there that I, I think it's kind of extreme. Yeah, you know, there's various scenes of, like, people being horrendously killed, which I cover the impact of that slightly by leaning into a, a cartoony drawing style, right? You know, it's like it's done in a sort of cartoony way. So that underlies the impact of it a little bit. But I don't know. I think that when the reader engages with that, it still goes in. It still has that effect of like, this is unremittingly horrible, even though it's, it looks this particular way. It doesn't really, tries to reinforce that 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 story, the, the feeling of how bad it
0: is. You saying that now kind of, I can definitely see that. My last question to you is where can we find Planet Loss and where can we find Wallowing and where can we find you on social media, online and all that good stuff there?
1: The best place for stuff that I'm doing is my main website, which is lukeorham.com. That has just, a, you know, that's my main portfolio site, right? So you can see a lot of my work in, in it'll look nice there because it's not crushed by upload algorithms that are on social media. So if anyone wants to just give it a look, that's the place to go. I have Instagram, so Luke underscore Aurum. Instagram is the first platform I've been on where someone else has my name first. Like, it's never happened before (laughs) because it's a rare surname, like... I've never. I've always just been a Luke Orum because no one else is called Luke Orum, but you know, not anymore. dad, you know. So yeah, Luke underscore Orum is Instagram, and I I post on that. I post a bit more, you know, just whatever, like sketches and stuff, like not necessarily finished. So if anyone out there likes that and likes that platform, would be very appreciative of your like and follow because I don't have a good following across any social media. That would be great. At Lucorum on Twitter. On Twitter it's mostly me talking about stupid nonsense like obscurantist political theory, dark souls and heavy metal stroke punk music. It's mostly what if that floats your boat, that's that's the place to go or or literally the, the place to avoid. I'm not sure wallowing, I think it's just wallowing.com maybe. I don't know. Yeah. If you put wallowing band into Google, you'll you'll find it. I'll
0: include all this right, in, the, yeah.
1: in the show notes anyway. and Brilliant, yeah. <laughs> Planet
0: Loss is available to buy now as well as a proper thing. It is,
1: yeah. We don't have a proper, like we don't have a shop set up yet. I'm sorry, like, you know, because it's just a DIY approach to getting this stuff done. So we did an initial print run and we sold all of those, which is lovely, a while ago. We took the money we made from that and printed a load more. And the second edition hasn't is nicer and has a nicer cover and stuff. I had a bit more time to do the cover. So it's the nicer edition. And we have a whole bunch of them now. So those will be available to buy. In the meantime, if anyone just emails me, right, on my website, I'll just sell it to you if you email. (laughs) I have no problem with doing that. I just don't, we're going to get some sort of shopfront sort to that. I don't know. It's not. It's not, it's not my uh, not my wheelhouse as they say doing that stuff I need, I need someone else to do it for
0: me so that sounds all great and I think Planet Lost has got a website called PlanetLost.com. oh that's right yeah it just leaves me to say thank you for, for speaking to me Luke it's been a real pleasure and yeah go out buy Planet Lost. it's a really good enjoyable dystopian sci-fi graphic novel and you know download and listen to the album as well if you're into heavy metal thank you Luke let's say bye to the listeners
1: bye okay bye listeners thanks Ahead. <laughs> Okay, thanks. All right. Cool. Okay.